The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning. Um, this morning, the scripture that we're reading from is, we're going to round out the chapter of Romans, chapter 1. And there are some Bibles that are scattered underneath your chairs, so if you don't have one, um, please grab one. And that's going to be on page 939, but it will also be posted on the screen behind me. So we're starting in verse 26, and we're going to read through 32. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Though they, knew, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. This is God's word. So we're obviously in our series on uh, Romans. Uh, This is a book written by uh, Paul. It's a letter written by Paul to the church in Rome where he had not been before. And it's really, he's laying out to the church in Rome who he is and what he believes. And what he's really laying out is, Here is what the gospel is, and here's what the gospel means. Here's the significance of the gospel, and here is what it means for us as believers, or what it means for for all of us. Uh, It's really his great treatise, or his great explanation of what the gospel is and what it's about. And that's what we call this series, How the Gospel Changes Everything, because what we'll see in Romans as we go along is that the gospel is meant, the gospel means good news, it's the good news of who Jesus is and what he did. And what the gospel is meant to do is it meant, is meant to address the deepest problems that each of us have individually. Your problem and my problem is not, and we have a lot of problems, right? You might be here this morning, you're dealing with a serious health issue or a serious family issue or a serious financial issue. You have a lot of questions, you have a lot of problems going on. It's not to minimize any of that, but all of us, the core, the biggest problem that we have is not any of those things. The problem that we have is the core problem that causes all of those things. We're all aware, right, that... that Somehow, this world isn't exactly the way that it should be. Something's off. Something's off kilter. If you're, if, you're, if you're a parent, have you ever walked into a room and your kids are there and everything seems to be okay, but you just, like, your, your spidey sense is, is telling you, like, something is not right here. The, the looks on everybody's face, the, there's something off, like, somebody needs to tell me what just happened. What is, what is wrong? And, and we, all of us, we're born with that sense, like, something's not quite 
right. Something's not the way that it should be. Something is off with the world. And Paul is saying that the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he did is what answers or fixes the great problem of humanity, the great problem with the world. And what we're doing as a church is we're studying the book of Romans and we're asking that God would, would renew us, would renew our faith and renew our sense of mission as we recognize and rediscover and joy in the good news of Jesus, who he is and what he's done. And where we are in this book is right in the middle of Paul explaining, hey, this is what's wrong with the world. This is what's wrong with the world. See, you can't really have an answer to a problem until you understand what the problem is. You can't really appreciate light until you know that you're in darkness. You don't really appreciate, remember a few weeks ago we talked about the, the uh, smoke alarm that goes off between two and three o'clock in the morning? That's, or every, every smoke alarm in the history of, of the world that has a, a dead battery or a dying battery, that's when it's gone, gone off between two and three o'clock in the morning. And that is, not good news to you if you're waking up and trying to figure that thing out. But it, that smoke alarm going off at two o'clock in the morning is incredibly good news if it saves you and saves your family. Uh, and, and we won't understand and appreciate the good news that who Jesus is and what he has done until we understand the depth of the problem with this world. And, and as we're going through this, this morning and actually still a few more weeks after this, uh, it is, it's going to feel heavy at times. And the point is that it should. The, the problem with the world and the problem with you and me as human beings should feel like a heavy problem because it's a hugely heavy problem. It's a hugely weighty problem. But if you stick with it, if we all stick with it, there's good news on the other side. Uh, you know, as we're, we're heading into, we're now in November and apparently we're celebrating Christmas now. And uh, as we're heading into the holiday season and you all have your you know, Starbucks Christmas mugs or holiday mugs and, you know, the whole, the whole deal. Um, as, as we head into it, I think it's going to make this holiday or this Advent season far more meaningful for you and for me if we understand the, the darkness that was on the face of the earth before the gift of Jesus came. See, uh, as Christians, we celebrate Christmas, but the season leading up to Christmas is what we call Advent. It's the, the time of season it's a season that we are waiting or, or remembering what it was like to wait for Jesus to come the first time. And we remember that we're waiting for him to come again. And there's no celebration until you realize just how dark the world is and why it's so dark. And so we're going to be looking at Paul's great explanation of why the world is the way that it is. So let's delve into the darkness and uh, get into the passage, verse 26 through 32 of of uh, Romans chapter one, but to really understand it, we're going to jump back really quickly to verse 20 through 25 so we can kind of get the, 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 the margin. We can understand what is going on in the context before Paul jumps into this passage. Paul says in verse 20, that's for this invisible, his invisible attributes, that's God's, that God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse for, so, so Paul first laying out, every human being is without an excuse because we all know intuitively that there is a God just by looking at creation. Before that, he talks about how we see it all around us, but we suppress that truth. 
Verse 21, for although they knew God, that they is every single human being in the history of humanity, including you. That's Adam and Eve all the way down to you and to me. For although they, that's us, although we knew God, we did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged, that's the key word here, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they, that's we, exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. Now, for us to understand what Paul is getting into, verse 26 through 32, we really have to understand that every single human being knows that there is a God from just, from, and somehow intuitively, just by looking at creation, we know there must be something more. And that's why every single human being, the, the, the course of their life, the mission of their life is trying to find what is that thing that created us, that thing that I was created for. We're trying to find what is the thing that I'm made to worship. And we repress or suppress the truth that there is an objective God who created the world and has the lordship over the world and lordship over me and gets to tell me how I should live my life and how we should conduct ourselves on this earth because we don't want to be bossed around by a Lord. We don't want to acknowledge him as God. We're fine with a God who's a God of love, who is okay with everything that I do. And we're fine with a God who's a God of some rules, some rules that I can keep and I can check those off because if I, if God is a God of absolute love and, and no judgment, then he owes me to love me and forgive me all the time. And if God is a God of rules then I can pick which rules that are the most important and I can keep those and I can feel that he owes me something in return. He owes me a good life. He owes me health. He owes me wealth. He owes me good relationships. He owes me a marriage or family. He owes me to do whatever it is that would make me happy or I think would make me happy. He owes me. And what Paul is saying here is that by doing that as human beings, that we have not honored God or given thanks to him and we made a terrible exchange. We exchanged or chose to worship and serve the image of God, the creature, rather than God himself, who is blessed forever. And the reason is because we don't want to be bossed around. We don't want to serve anybody else. Do you ever feel that? I mean, that's ingrained in us as human beings. I don't want anybody else to tell me what to do. Like, how many of my children's, like, tantrums and fights revolve around the basic premise that they don't want anybody, including me or Megan or their sibling or their friend to tell them what to do and how to do it. They don't want, and we all like, I'm 40 some years old and I still feel that. I, I still feel, I can be honest with you, when I'm in a store and they tell me to do something or stand here or do it, something inside me says, yeah, I'm not gonna do that. I have no good reason not to. Just because you told me to not to do it that way, I'm not going to do it that way. I felt that way with my wife at times. And guys, don't nod your head, but at times, has your wife ever asked you to do something and you're just like, something inside you says, I'm not going to do that just because you asked me to. It could be something as simple as, would you hand me that glass from off the end table there? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you, 
can get it. And then we get into a big fight because I said something stupid like, hey, you have legs, right? And then boom, like all of a sudden, our night, our next three days is determined because something inside me says, nobody boss me around. And we as human beings, we've exchanged the glory or the truth of a God who is a God of all creation, who made us and who we are made for to love and to serve and to worship. And we exchange that truth for a lie and we worship and serve something else, anything else. We are actively as human beings trying to find something else to worship, something else to serve other than God, because here's the truth. And whoever you think you are, no matter how independent or how smart or how great you may think you are, every single one of you, every single one of us is actively trying to find something to worship and to serve. And then it says, we worship and serve those things. And the picture there is that we become slave to those things. And so Paul says that none of us have an excuse because we have all, we know that there is a God and we all actively suppress that truth and then we all actively exchange the truth of God for a lie and we worship and serve serve something else other than him. And so therefore, Paul goes into this section in verse 26 where he's laying out, here's what happens when we as human beings make that exchange. Here's what happens when we make that exchange. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. So now let's look in verse 26 through 27. So remember, he just said they exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. For this reason, all right, hear that? For this reason, God gave them up. That is one of the saddest phrases that you will read anywhere in any kind of literature, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying there is this deterioration that happens for us as human beings and us as a society, whenever we exchange the image of God who is blessed forever, the the, the truth of God, the glory of God, we exchange that for an image. We exchange that for a copy, we exchange it for a lie. And here's what happens whenever we make that great exchange. It says that God gives us up to those things. Uh, my, my daughter is 12 years old, my son is nine, and our youngest daughter that we're hoping to adopt is six months old. Now, each of them have differing levels of, of understanding of the world, and I love ha- having conversations with them as they're trying to figure out, like, how do things work? And most of the time, the younger they are, the wronger they are, right? Yeah, they, they just don't understand the way things actually work. I, I remember when, when I was a kid, I would sit in the backseat of the car and I was actively trying to figure out how did dad make the car go? Like I, 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 I could see like he was doing some sort of gear shifter this a long time ago. Like it was like he was doing the gear shifter and, and I could tell like, okay, when he does that, something happens, but I couldn't make sense. Like how does the car know 
when to go forward and when to go backwards. Like, is there, I literally was thinking, is there some sort of mental, like mental control he has here? Is there some sort of controls he has going on that I don't understand? And so I came up with my own theory on how the car was moving and it was absolutely wrong until I discovered it later on. Uh, but that didn't hurt me too bad. It, now, when I was a little bit older, uh, we would, uh, we were a, a church family and we would go to, you know, you go to lunch after you go to church and my mom would say, we're going to go somewhere where you can eat a lot of food. So it was a buffet and you eat as much as you want because I'm not cooking again the rest of the day. And so we would go to this buffet and we would eat a bunch of food and mom and dad would talk forever. And like, I mean like hours and it felt like three, four, six hours. Like we would be sitting there for lunch. And, and so there, as a kid, you have a lot of time to, to try to, to wander around and try to you know, make use of your time. And so when I would go to the bathroom, I noticed what I now know to be an air freshener up on the wall of the bathroom. Uh, but when I walked into that room, I kept eyeing that thing like, what is that thing? I had no idea what it was. And I spent weeks, weeks and weeks sitting in the bathroom, looking at that thing, wondering, what is that box on the wall? And I finally figured out what it was. That thing is a microphone. And they have a microphone in the bathroom so that if any bad guys are here, and they come in here to the bathroom to make their plans on how they're going to rob the restaurant, which is exactly what bad guys would do. Then, like, they can hear them making the plans and bust them. That was, that was, that was. And so I kept thinking about this, like this microphone in the bathroom. And finally, I wanted to know, I, I, I was young. I, was, I wasn't super young. I was probably like nine years old. All right, okay. And I finally walk in there one day and I say, all right, I'm going to let them know that I'm onto their secret plan. So I sat there and I looked at it and finally I said, I want you to know I'm onto your plan. I know you're listening to me in here and I want you to know I figured it out. And I was started, like, started talking to the microphone and, and I went for a little while and finally I thought I was alone in the bathroom. <laughs> but from the last stall in the bathroom, I finally hear a, a grown up say, hey, like, stop it. And my face went red. I ran out of the bathroom. I went and sat down. I never told anybody for a long time what had happened. See, sometimes if you think you have something figured out, but you don't have all the knowledge or you're wrong in your knowledge, it can have embarrassing and even disastrous results. And here's what God does. When we exchange the truth of God for a lie and the glory of God for an image, and we worship and serve anything else other than him, here's the saddest thing he does. He gives us up to what we think and what we think we understand. And we're left with a broken and incomplete and darkened, notice, remember, hear the language in there? They became futile in their thinking. Thinking, proclaiming to be wise, they became what? They became fools. And God leaves us to our foolishness. And that leads to this whole downward slope, this whole downward cycle where it says God gave them up to dishonorable passions. When we exchange the truth of God for a lie, which every single one of us since Adam and Eve have done by nature and by choice, when we make that exchange, notice that word there. It says, we exchange the truth of God for a lie. Notice that word there, for their women exchanged. 
And it says that the men likewise, he's talking about the exchange that happens there. He says when that, when when we worship and serve something or someone other than God, he gives us up to dishonorable passions. That deterioration of sin, it starts to affect even our, our passion. He's talking about our sexuality there. And here's what stood out to me as I was reading this passage. I was like, why would that be the first thing he mentions here? Like, why, that would, that, why would that be like such a feature part of what he lays out to the downward slope that happens as, after we exchange the truth of God for a lie and he gives us up? Why would he mention dishonorable passions and particularly talk about homosexuality? But it's not just homosexuality. But why would he feature homosexuality and the, this whole concept of of, of of nature of, of things that are contrary to nature of dishonorable passions. Why, why would he mention that first? And the, the reason is because our sexuality is one of the core, our sexuality and our sexual desire is one of the core marks of who we are as human beings. Think back to the garden when Adam and Eve were created. God gave Adam, he made Adam he said, it's not good for man to dwell alone. So he made Eve. He said, this is your helper. Uh, you're going to cling to each other. He, they were married. They were brought together into a union. They found oneness in each other. And it, God gave them commands. He said, now go and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So he gave Adam and Eve jobs. And a big part of the job was for them together as a couple was to be fruitful. Sex is naturally enjoyable, and it's also a, a core desire that we have as human beings. It's one of the our core hungers that we have as human beings. And here's the truth. Because it is such a core of who we are, sexual immorality has always been a part of false worship. Sexual immorality has always been a part of false worship. When the, when the Israelites were placed into the land, they were surrounded by other cultures who worshiped false gods and almost a marker of every single one of them was there was some sort of part of their worship that involved sexual immorality, sexual deviation, sexual separation from the way that God meant it to be. So, so here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that whenever we as human beings individually and as a society and as a race back to Adam and Eve, when we exchange the glory of God for a lie, when we exchange the glory of God for an image, God gives us up and personally and as a society, we begin to fall down this downward slope, this downward path of dishonorable passions. That it says, consume us. Instead of, instead of sex being something that is, that is a, a joy and a tool that we use between a, a man and a woman that God has brought together and have ex- expressed their covenant relationship with each other before their covenant God in a holy union in a way that is beautiful and a tool for for intimacy and a tool for building a family instead of that it becomes a tool that's that we start to misuse and then starts to use us it says they were consumed with passions with dishonorable passions and that's embarrassing to talk about and it's very countercultural. It's uncomfortable. I mean, you guys look at me like I've got three heads right now. But the problem is that our sexuality, all, 
the way that our passions, our thinking, our, our ideals have all been so shaped and marred by the fall that it's broken our sexuality. It's broken the way that we think about it. And it's certainly in homosexuality, but it's not just in them. It's in the objectification of women. It's the, in the use of sex for, for, for my personal strokes or for me to get notches on my belt because that's just, this is how hot I am as a guy or how masculine I am because of the way that I get women to react to me or how, I get, how women get men to look at them or to react to them. When sexuality becomes something that instead of a, a tool to be used for intimacy between a man and woman in a holy covenant before God, it becomes something that uses us and consumes us. Our sexuality itself is broken by the fall and it leads to a further degradation. There's a truth as people who've studied uh, people who use, who use porn. Uh, the, the, pro- the thing that happens is porn, you don't just use porn and play around with it. You become addicted to it. And then you don't just get addicted to like whatever kind of vanilla porn you start with. It always leads to level B. And that always leads to level C. And it always leads to level D. It takes you down. Just like any addiction, like just like anything that, any consuming passion, it always takes us down. It always takes us lower until you wake up one day and you realize, I'm actually, no matter how I may think, I can lay this thing down and I'm in charge and I'm in control. I realize I'm a slave to this thing. It's not a tool that I'm using. It's a passion that's consuming me. God gives us up individually and as society to the thing that we beg for and long for. Because when we exchange the truth of who he is, we will worship and serve other men, other women, the opposite sex, the same sex. We will find anything we possibly can to put our worship upon and to serve. If you're here this morning, this is incredibly uncomfortable for you because maybe this is a lifestyle that you're in or have been in. Maybe this are desires that you wrestle with. Here's what this passage is not saying. It's not singling you out and saying, hey, you who struggle with this, you who have walked through this, you who are in this lifestyle, you are more cursed than anybody else. Do you notice like coming up that he's got 21 things that he's listing in the same passage that are all lumped in together. And just as all of us are guilty of any number of this list that we're getting ready to come up to, we are, we've all fall guilty under God. We are all given over. You are no more or no less cursed than anyone else because of the things that the sins that you struggle with, that you fall prey to. And we're going to see there's one answer for all of us. And we're here as Christians whether you're a believer or you're not a believer yet, we're here to wrestle together through this life as we, as we wrestle against the sins that so easily entangle us and ensnare us and pull us down. And I wanna encourage you to be open, find a small group of people or one person that you can share your innermost struggles with and let them begin to wrestle with you. I think you'll find that that a believer who's following after Christ won't, won't shun you. I, by the way, I'm just gonna say this. I think that the, 
Western and American churches decision to turn homosexuality into a huge cultural issue that we want to litigate against is a misunderstanding of the whole point. It's pitted us against culture and rather than having compassion with the people who are around us. I think you'll find a, a believer who loves the Lord will have much, much compassion with you and they'll even share with you what their struggles are because we all have them. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Now, before we get to this list that's coming after this, uh, let's look at verse 28. It says, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. What does that mean? Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. That wording there, acknowledge, is the same word it means to, it really means to approve of God. So what it means is is that we as human beings have looked at God and we've decided that doesn't seem to be the sort of God that I want to serve. That's not the sort of God that I approve of serving and worshiping. So I'm going to disapprove of that God. I'm going to find something else to worship and to serve. Since they did not see fit to approve of God, God gave them up to a debased mind. So God gave them up to a debased mind. You know what that means? It means that our... Our sinfulness, our exchanging of the glory of God for an image and the truth of God for a lie actually results in our thinking being affected. It says that what it's saying is that we as human beings, not only is our sexuality broken, our sense of passions, but our thinking itself about things is broken. We don't, our, our logic doesn't work the way that God made it to work. We don't make judgments the way that God gave us, to, uh, the, the way that God get, meant for us to. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Listen to this list. This is called a vice list. What that means is that Paul's just laying in, not necessarily in any particular order, uh, a whole number of things that we are given over to by God when we exchange the glory of God for an image. They were filled in that wording before, it says they were consumed. Now it says they were filled. It's very similar language. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. That is uh, living in a way that is not right before God. Evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy. Isn't it interesting this wording here? Like he just throws envy and murder and strife and deceit all in there together in the same, the same list. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, Heartless, ruthless. Here's what that's saying. Whenever we exchange as a society, as a humanity, and personally, we exchange the glory of God for the image and the truth of God for a lie, and we worship and serve something other than the creator, the creature instead, here's what happens. Our thinking gets messed up, and God gives us over to our broken thinking. We don't think about things the way that we should. There's a theological term, it's called the noetic effect of sin, N-O-E-T-I-C. If you ever want to Google it, look it up, it's a pretty interesting read. But what the, the theory there is saying, it's not just a theory, it's what the Bible is teaching right here, is that, is that our sinfulness 
has changed our way of thinking. And, and here's what happens is that whenever we see the way that God calls us to live and the way that God calls us to serve him, we, we see it, we understand it to a point, but it makes no logical sense to us. And so we make the other choice on purpose. And again, just like the sexuality begins a, a spiral that takes us down and down and down, our debased thinking, our logic removed from the acknowledgement of who God is, his glory, his majesty, that I am made to serve him and love him with my whole heart. Isn't that an interesting command, by the way? God calls us not only to serve him and to worship him, but he calls us and commands us to love him. And I don't know what your experience is, but no one can command you to love somebody that you don't love and you just make yourself love them, right? It doesn't make sense to our thinking. God seems to be somebody who is not worth loving. He's not worth serving. He's always just telling me what to do and I don't want to go his way. And, and it becomes to a point where I start to judge God instead of God judging me. And, and, and I, I look back at God and say, God, what you have said to do does not make sense. And as a society, we start to reshape our thinking and so that what was once immoral becomes moral. And what was once moral becomes immoral because it affects our logic. It affects our way of thinking about life. And all of a sudden, envy, covetousness, murder, like we can start to explain away all those things, right? Because it serves me. Because we worship the autonomous self. We worship, and what that just means that we worship me as king. My wants, my desires, that is the most important thing in my life. And everyone around me and everything that I do is built that I try to build them so that they will serve me. They will do what I want them to do because I am the king of my autonomous self. And our thinking is broken. Instead of thinking, God, what do you want me to do? God, how do I serve you? How do I glorify you? The chief end of man, the reason we were created was to glorify God and serve him and love him and enjoy him forever. Instead of asking that, we ask God, how are you gonna serve me? And if you don't serve me the way I want, I'll look elsewhere. And I make my, my worship, like it's up for sale. I'll worship and serve whatever I think will possibly give me the strokes that I need. Our thinking becomes debased and it leads further and further and further away that God gives, gave them over to a debased mind. Though they, verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. 
So, so here, this is the, the last stage of what Paul is talking about that happens as we exchange the glory of God for the image and the truth of God for a lie and God gives us over. It says that, that, that we intuitively know that something inside us, deep inside us, tells us that if I break God's law, if I go against him, if I do not acknowledge him as God, then I deserve to die, but yet I still do them. And not only does that happen, but then I start to look around me and I start to approve of others who do it as well. I don't just sin and do my thing in a corner away from everybody else, all of a sudden it starts to spread through society and we all start to congratulate each other across the room for you doing your thing and you doing your thing and me doing my thing because you know what that says? It means that we are all, and we try to make ourselves all okay. Because if you're okay serving a God of your own making and you're okay serving a God of your own making, then I must be okay serving a God of my own making and we all live in this common delusion where we pat each other on the back for going against our almighty creator and loving creator God. It has a deterioration effect on our society, on our interactions with people. Do you hear how many of these things, that there's a certain number of these things, of these sins that are in this vice list that are th- sins against God, but so many of them are sins against each other. When we exchange the truth of God for a lie, all of a sudden then I become king and I can, I can do whatever. If I'm king, then I can do whatever I want to do and it can mess you up and it can mess you up and it can mess you up and it doesn't matter because I'm the king. I'm the boss. But when God is God, then I have to view him as the father of all humanity and I have to look at each person as made in the image of God and I have to respect the image of God and every single person around me, whether I like them or not, whether I understand them or not. I have a responsibility to you, but it's only in if it's under the lordship, the Godship of the almighty creator God. We want to believe as a, as, a, as a society that we're super nice to each other and we just respect each other, but we're constantly nicely disrespecting each other. We're nicely using each other. Ever thought about that? How much of our economy, and I'm not anti-economics, but how much of our economy is about us using each other rather than serving each other? I can use you, if I can convince you to pay this amount, even though I know it's exorbitant and you can't afford it, then I'll get you to pay it, I'll get you to do it because it serves me. The only way that I have a true responsibility to you and you have a responsibility to me is if we have a common God, a common Father who created us all. And we get to a point where we don't just applaud those that agree with us, but we start to denigrate or put down those who disagree and are trying to follow God. And the moral, those who follow the Lord, become immoral. Have you seen this in our society? Right? As our, as our society goes further and further away from the last great awakening, last great revival that we had, and the, the sort of the, the Jesus-haunted South is even starting to, re, start to recede and cultural Christianity starts to fade away, all of a sudden it becomes easier. We denigrate those who were who are moral, and that becomes immoral to be moral. And we shouldn't be surprised when that happens because that's the flow of sin. That's the situation that God has been in from the very beginning since we sinned against him. He's been the moral, loving, gracious one, and we have made him our enemy, and we have suppressed him and worshiped and served anything other than him. Okay. That's a lot of really bad news, right? 
Like, how does this change? How does any, how does any person, when we read this, that God gives us over, how does any person stop and reverse that flow? And instead of going down in our, in our sexual passions and in our thinking and our ideals as a society, how do we, how do we make the change? How do we reverse that course? And here's the, the challenge about that is that you can't accept the truth. Remember the language there? They did not accept God as God. You can't accept the truth until you accept God and you can't accept God until you accept the truth. So we're all stuck because our thinking is broken and our passions are broken. All of us by nature and by choice are haters of God. We won't know part of him. And until we acknowledge God as God, then we won't see the truth about him and we won't ever see the truth about him until we acknowledge the truth of who he is. Until then, it's foolishness to every single one of us. And not only is it just foolish, but it's even wrong. So here's, here's how that changes. The only way for any person to change, because here's the truth, you're either given over by God or you have given up his lordship to him. And the only way that happens is when we see Jesus. You know who he was coming in, right? until we see Jesus. You know what Jesus did? Jesus saw all of our sinful passions. He saw how we were given over by God and God sent him into our mess, into all those whole list of vices that Paul was laying out, into our sexual depravity, into our brokenness, into our wrong thinking, into our selfishness, into our rebellion against him. God sent Jesus into all of that and Jesus went down into the bottom. You know what, how we know that? On the cross, it says that he bore every single one of our sins. He bore all of us, our, all, the weight of all of our exchanging of God, the glory of God for an image and the truth of God for a lot. He bore upon us all of our maliciousness, all of our gossip, all of our sexual deviation. He, bro- he bore all of our brokenness. He, bro- he bore all of our strife and our deceit. He bore all our slandering and our hating of God, all our insolence, all our haughtiness, all our boastfulness, all our... Uh, all the inventions of evil that we actively invented, all our disobedience to parents, our foolishness, our faithfulness, our heartlessness, our ruthlessness. He went down into the bottom and he saw it all and he bore it all. There's nothing that you have done, no sin that you have ever wrestled with or succumbed to that God didn't see and know. It is not a It is not a question, it's not a mystery to him at all. He saw that before the world began and he sent his son to take that. Jesus went down into our brokenness. He went down into our depravity. He went down into our unrighteousness and what he did, he exchanged our unrighteousness for his righteousness. Whenever you see the love of God through Jesus Christ to you, that is the antidote to break you out of your sinful depravity and the down, continual downward cycle that all of us are in. And when we see that, we acknowledge God as God. We confess 
who we are freely to him. God, this is who I am. I'm given over to this. I have shame for it. I know this is who I am, but I also know that there's no fixing myself. There's no cleaning myself up. There's no other way out there. The only way is that I give up lordship to you. I confess that to you. And that all of a sudden I find an ability to repent before him. And you know what this happens then? You are born again by God Almighty. That is what salvation means. And that's why the gospel is such incredible, amazing news. Because all of us were trapped by choice and by nature into our brokenness and our continual depravity. And Jesus came to rescue us knowing and then taking all that upon himself. Jesus took your dirt. Imagine that for a second. The most secret, heinous sin that you commit, you have committed, you ever will commit. He knew that, and then not only did he know it, but he came and he took it upon himself. And he bore the penalty for you. So you could go scot-free whenever you bow your knee to him. I encourage you to do that this morning. But then now, if you're a believer here, Here's some also great news for you. I mean, you've been saved like that, but here's the thing, that we are not in the same position. We struggle with sin, we are overwhelmed, and we feel overcome by sin oftentimes. Sometimes we feel hopeless, but we are not hopeless. If you are a believer in Christ, Jesus Christ stands between you and this sin. God, Jesus Christ stands between you and your brokenness. And he has promised, not only does he stand between you and that and offers forgiveness, but Jesus Christ has promised you because he gave his life for you and he rose again for you, he promises that the, the work of bringing you to completion will occur if you're a believer. Not because of your goodness or your greatness. You couldn't rescue yourself out of that downward cycle. Only he could come in and rescue you and only he can clean you up. And that's what is he is doing in your life as a believer. No matter how imperfect it may feel, no matter how slow it may feel like it's happening to you, that's what he has for you and it will be completed at the end. That is incredibly great news. And we get to follow as believers in the path of Jesus. He came and he was misunderstood. He came and he was considered evil by the people who were around him. He came and he sacrificed for the people who were in darkness around him. And we turn around as believers and we follow him in that path. And we sacrifice for the sake of those who are in darkness around us. And he did so for the joy that was set before him. And we do the same. Knowing that Jesus is returning again to make everything that is wrong right. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.